0: Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's is Brant. In this episode, we're discussing SST-83, the DC3 album, You're Only As Blind As Your Mind Can Be. We're uh, getting into DC3 again. I think it's fair to say, Brant, this is more of a, a Brant band than a Ryan band so far. But uh, always interested to get into the story behind a DC3
1: record. And we've got a special guest, Brant. You bet. Des Cadena is on the podcast.
0: Yeah, and it's a really great interview. Lots of cool tidbits, lots of information all over the place. As usual, it seems for us a great guy.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's great to have Des. I've been trying to track him down for well, pretty much since we started this thing. So he wasn't an easy guy to find, but we found him and he agreed to be on the podcast. So thanks to Des for doing it. We're super pumped to have him. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I've only got one quick spiel before we get into it, Brant, if
0: if it's cool for me to go first. Lay it on me. All right. It's an unknown instructor's report. Oh. I've got that new record by them called Unwilling to Explain that came out. Okay. And I have their first three records. Um, I can't, I can't, Recall what order they go in. I think it might be the first one is The Way Things Work, the second one is The Master's Voice, the third one is called Funland, and then there's this one, Unwilling to Explain. And I gotta admit, I bought their first three because it's Watt and other people like obviously George Hurley, Joe Biza, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, lots of guest artists on these ones. And the guy, Dan McGuire, on most of, many of the vocals on the first three records, they didn't really blow my mind. This one, however, I'm really into, and I don't know if it's the Jay Mascus factor, but it doesn't hurt, or maybe it's just because I'm in the mood, but this is by far, for me, their best record, and I and I really like it, too. It's really good. How much of it does he play on? Mascus? Yeah. Oh well, I assume he's noodling over the like the entire album. Okay. I'm I'm just looking for there's a ton of credits on it. Like Bys is on it, but only for co vocals. Hmm. Just on a quick scan, it looks like Jay Mascus plays guitar on the whole thing and it's pretty diverse guitar playing. It looks like they all recorded well, most of them uh, recorded separately too, right. but it's really cohesive. And I don't know, for the, this time around, I think Mascus, Mascus makes it a keeper. Right on. So it's cool. I think people should check it out. If uh, if they dig this show, um, a lot of the bands that we, we talk like, you could really see this being in the vein of a lot of artists that we've uh, covered recently that we've been pretty excited about, like Saccharin Trust, of course, obviously, Firehose, and uh, we'll be getting to Dinosaur Jr. But even like Paper Bag, for example, there's elements of that in this record. So yeah, check it out. All right. I kind of have... What do you got?
1: I've got a similar recommend for people who like this podcast and for you, Ryan. You might know... you Well, you might know the first band... Perhaps you know both of these already, because it seems like stuff you would be into. If you're not, if, if you're if you're not aware of it already, then you're welcome.
0: <laughs> Preemptive, you're welcome.
1: Yep. love it. The first one is the new one by a band called the Perkinye Shift, called Threads. Do you know them? I do not. Okay, so they you're were. Welcome. What's that? You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so they right? I I don't know a ton about their history, but I believe they split up around 2000 and maybe reformed a few years ago. I think they did a single when they re- reformed. I don't have it, but this album's called Threads. It's on the Chunklet label. Oh yeah. And it's the same two guitarists that they had originally. There's no bass player and they have a new drummer. It's instrumental, but it's kind of Fugazi-esque. I think you would be really into it. It's... Perkinye P U R K I N J E. Shift.
0: Okay. I know Chunklet because they put out that TAR collection. They put out those Manor Astroman singles. So I know a bit about that label, and I've probably passed by that band while on the website, but now I'll check into it. Thanks.
1: Yeah, it's instrumental, too. Both of these recommends are, are instrumental.
0: I like instrumental.
1: Yeah. Uh, the spe- second band's called Scriptor. I think that's how you pronounce it. S K R Y P T O R. Scriptor. And the album's called Luminous Volumes. It's their debut. And it's David McClelland and Tim Garrigan, uh, the guitarists from Craw and Dazzling Killman. And I know you like Whoa. both of those bands.
0: Whoa. Okay. That's that's very cool.
1: Yeah. And Especially
0: Craw. I like Craw. Way better than, you know, dazzling killmen. But I do like the dazzling killmen.
1: Yeah, and it's super shredding, jazzy, mathy prog with lots of twists and turns. And it's a co-release between three labels: Aqua Lamb, sweeping or sorry, sleeping giant, Glossalia, I think is how you pronounce it, and Skin Graft.
0: Okay, Skin Graft, I've got some records off of. How did you find out about these two bands?
1: I don't know. Just. Surfing Around on the Web. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I'll check those out for I, sure. I have a list of labels that I just check in with regularly. So just yeah, see yeah. what they're doing. I got that.
0: Well, you made a good intro recommend a long while back and uh,
1: I'm still digging into them, Terra Yeah, I think you'd like both of these records. The third thing I have, Ryan, is a question for you. Before we, we went to air tonight, or before we started recording, we were chatting a little bit about our Born Too Late episode, which we got a great response to, and a few people were commenting about you and your your tastes, like not being inclined towards metal, and you said something like, I, the closest I get to metal is Faith No More. And I have a question for you, because I, there's another band I recommended to you that I remember that you liked, and I don't know if you kept up with them or if you still like them.
0: There there are bands that have metal tendencies that I like, okay? But okay. I don't like, you know,
1: Cathedral, for example. <laughs> You've never heard <laughs> Cathedral.
0: Yeah, I know I haven't, <laughs> but I know I wouldn't like it. Ask your question. Go for it.
1: Okay. So on the cover of the new Decibel magazine, Baroness is the cover oh, feature. Yeah. There's a big article oh, yeah. about them. They have a new album coming out in, I think it's June or July. I think June. It's called Golden Grey. They yeah, c- They kind of give a big warning in this article. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty dramatic shift, stylistically. Oh, in what direction? Mm, I think pretty proggy, probably, which is okay with me. I read, I read an article
0: that called them like psych rock and I'm like, what are you talking about? And then they're also talking about the artwork, you know, which is uh, done by one of the band members and saying it's very Dolly esque, and I'm like, no, man, that's that's the Czech painter Mucha you're thinking of. But yeah, um, I love Baroness, love them, and I haven't read that much about it because I want
1: to be completely surprised when I listen to it. Well, it sounds like, just judging by this article, you will definitely be surprised. So yeah, well, I like prog rock too. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know, I what I what I don't like is
0: you know, I don't know. Vikings and, and dragons? <laughs> well, look, there are a ton of different types of metal. There are a ton of different types of punk, right? There are there are types of metal that I can appreciate. There are types of metal where I just don't have any time for. I I have similar types of thoughts about various genres within punk rock. It just so happens though that I have a lot more openness to a multitude of types of punk rock whereas metal is very narrow for me relatively speaking um and I, I but i i view your you know your kind of perspective as being like open to way more metal than i am like way 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 for sure and that and that's totally fine whatever um i'm not going to be into iron maiden somehow we will continue to get along.
1: <laughs> I guess I don't have much of a choice. No. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: but uh, yeah, are you a fan of Baroness? I saw them last time they came through with the Purple album and it was totally amazing. Like they were just uh, insanely good musicians and I was just lazy this last time they came through I should have went and seen them.
1: Yeah, I like the Red album and the Blue album more than the the last two they did, the purple one and the yellow and green or whatever it's called. Yeah. Especially that yellow and green one. I really didn't like it. I tried. I wanted to like it. Was it too mainstream for you, maybe? I guess so, maybe. It just yeah. wasn't what I wanted to hear from Baroness, I guess. Yeah.
0: I like the red and blue, and I even have their, like the EPs yeah. that came out before. Yeah. yeah, that are... You know, they're not nearly as accessible as the last couple, that's for sure. But I like them all. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, you may not recall this, but way, way back when, got to be 10 years ago, you're actually, you recommended Baroness to me way back when.
1: Yeah, I do remember that. Let's get into this record. So what do you think, Brent? Should we just throw it right to Des to start? Yeah, let's do that. History lesson, part one. Right on. We're joined on the podcast today by Dez Cadena. Dez, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. How's everybody out there?
1: Oh, We're doing really good, thanks. We're talking about uh, DC Three today. Uh, we're in particular, we're on the album "You're Only as Blind as Your Mind Can Be," but we can talk about anything you want, Dez. Do you want to talk about maybe how DC Three got started?
2: Well, yeah, sure. And it kind of goes, it kind of goes back to. Me being in Black Flag because it's kind of like a musical progression here. When I joined Black Flag in 1980 as the singer, I really was always a guitar player, and um, the opportunity to join Black Flag as the singer, I thought that I thought that would be. First of all, they were my favorite band, right? And they were all friends of mine. So that's number one. Number two, I just thought, well, I should give it a go. I never, I never totally took singing seriously, even, even sometimes t- to this day. <laughs> but sure. I learned how to do that. Now, if I was able to sing and play guitar from the very beginning of when I played in Black Flag, the whole history of Black Flag and maybe even DC3 would have been totally different because I would have been able to play guitar again. And that was an idea, but like, I didn't know how to do that.
1: You like I, you, I you might have know. stayed in Black Flag longer, you mean?
2: Maybe, yeah. or I might. I still might have made a decision to like, have my own band. But what may have been different was there might not have been a five-piece Black Flag, whether it was... You know, of course, it ended up being Henry, but we we tried other singers, too, before Henry. And uh, but that was the whole idea. I mean, after a year of singing with Black Flag in 81, they knew I was unhappy and I was losing my voice a lot. And that's not the reason why I was unhappy. I was just unhappy because I wasn't playing guitar. I love to play guitar. Yeah. So they said to me, let's find a singer and then we'll buy you an app and a guitar.
1: There was never any consideration given to you singing and playing guitar like you did in DC3?
2: Well, yeah, at the very beginning, but I didn't know how to do it, especially at that as intense and great neck speed Black Flag's music was. I mean, to actually learn how to do that when <laughs> you've never done it before, yeah. and then playing clocked in or depression, <laughs> you would really have to, you know, I mean, so I just, Sang. I mean, but I was unhappy, And the band knew it. After about a year, they said, we'll buy you. We don't want you to leave the band. I wasn't threatening to leave the band. I didn't want to at the time. They said, we'll buy you an amp and a guitar and we're going to try out singers. But in the meantime, we're still going to go on tour and you're going to sing until we find somebody. And that's basically what happened with Black Flag. Right. but after a year and a half of me playing guitar i was getting better and, and I, what i mean by that is i i was getting better at playing with black flag but i was getting better at playing all the stuff that i learned when i started to learn at when i was a kid all that 70s rock right uh, mountain cream well that's the 60s but you know anything from the yard birds to the Small Faces to Humble Pie to Hawkwind and Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, just, you know, all that stuff. So I started getting better at the guitar. I felt like I was, you know, we had Greg Ginn on guitar at Black Flag, so I felt like my hands were like, and appropriately handcuffed.
1: Right, like Greg's Greg's the lead guitarist, there's no doubt about that, right?
2: Yeah, and he's yeah. original and his style and, you know, and I I was a little bit more... Con- growing up with, like, blues rock and right. stuff. And, and I Now, started... did you get back into that
1: stuff or were you all... you just all? I mean, a lot of people that got into punk rock or whatever dropped all that stuff and then came back to it again later. I, I assume you, you just stuck with all of that stuff throughout your...
2: No, we used to go on tour with Black Flag and I would, you know... Before a gig, I would be playing on a little cassette player like ZZ Top's right. first record. And we'd all be like, but, you know, everybody in Black rock, we would listen to anything from the Stooges to Black Sabbath to ZZ Top to anything, right. you know, anything we wanted. It seems like if we did listen to punk rock, it was more like early punk rock, either from L.A. or London or New York, like pre-1980, but we really kind of listened to, like, I mean, Greg Ginn listened to Maravish New Orchestra and King Crimson, you know, and I, too, you know, but, you know, and I was always a big Frank Zappa fan. So there's a whole bunch of influences right there. You know, we didn't, like, burn our rock and roll records when punk rock came out. We just moved on, but still had our... Captain Beyond and, you know, stuff like that. And a lot of stuff, people had never heard. And that's kind of the premise of DC3.
3: Right.
2: DC3, I was really into that type of music. I, I'd rather, and I, I also felt, I even think i say say, um, one of the things I wrote on the album, like, like uh, um, on one of the album's,
1: Maybe on "This Is the Dream," uh, yeah. I think you talk a little bit about your classic rock roots.
2: Yeah, yeah, but I think on the good hacks, I, I wrote something like people's attention spans. Right. You can, because you know nobody wanted to hear long guitar solos and But what's the really funny thing was when DC Three did stuff like that. We were really a great live band. We did some pretty good records and and we're proud of them. But the live stuff, we would play, and we did like four tours of the United States. And wherever we would play, people would love us, whether they were like a guy with a mohawk or just some scruffy homeless punk, you know, (laughs) people loved us because we still had sort of a, a punk energy to us, but we just did not necessarily play punk rock music. For sure. And we luckily in LA we had a group of friends who were like, well you have to admit SST in general, especially the early releases like Sacred Trust, Minutemen, Booster Do, Meat Puppets, it was punk rock influenced, but they were different than any other band that used to go up when we used to go on tour and play with bands. And you would hear a lot of bands that sounded the same. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean yeah.
1: Greg Ginn is on record as saying like he didn't even consider Black Flag a punk band.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, and then we we're by then we were already kind of lumped into this thing called hardcore. Right. I know Darby Crash as the first better person to ever coin that phrase on the radio with Rodney Bingenheimer's uh Sunday night radio show. Right. Because he asked them, what, what type of, because they go, oh, we're not punk. And then Rodney goes, then what are you? He goes, we're hardcore. And the only reason why I use that term is they used to practice underneath a porno <laughs> pussycat theater where they showed hardcore porn.
3: <laughs> okay.
2: So that's, and he's like the first person to coin that. People took the name and ran away. The same thing with the term punk rock. There was no term punk rock, but there was a punk magazine, and people kind of took that term and ran away with that. You know, so they labeled something. And I always had the opinion of I didn't like labels. I always thought that if I owned a record store, everything would be in alphabetical order, from Abba to Vivaldi. You know, everything, you know, and there would be no labels. If you want to go find the damned, just go to the D's and find the damned. And they would be right next to D purple or DC3. Right. You know, so uh, we didn't like labels. We didn't like to be labeled. We just like to be called Black Flag. And that was it. And we were the Black Flag music was quite different than most, most of the punk rock that was coming out uh musically and lyrically we were singing about inner strife usually uh, unless we were kind of making fun of something sort of like tv party
1: yeah even visually with you know not conforming to the the image
2: well i mean there are some great bands that sang about politics like 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 um uh, doa yeah but we were getting tired of bands writing songs about world war three <laughs> or how screwed up like Reagan was or whatever, yeah. you know, that's, that's fine. But black flag was definitely an inner talking about inner emotion type yeah. stuff. Yeah. I guess that's also why Henry got really in the band. He was really good that way and stuff. But, yeah. uh,
1: yeah, he definitely and, uh, kind of took that ball and ran with it.
2: Yeah, and I I, I did it. I I made kind of, because I didn't write much in Black Flag, but I, I, when I became singer, I made, I tried to make those songs automatically my own. Yeah. You know, so now we're talking about Black Flag, but here comes DC3.
1: Here's a question for you, Des, that I'd like to clear up. Was Jeff Dahl ever in DC3? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he told me
2: too, but but
1: Wikipedia says he was. <laughs>
2: I don't know who did that, but Jeff Doll, Jeff Dahl is a fine you know person and stuff. But no, the original DC three was actually uh, for a couple of rehearsals was Kurt Markham, me, and Kira, and we practiced. And in Long Beach, where Black Flag played, where Bill and Greg, now they had just, I don't want to get into the Chuck Dukowski thing, not being in Black Flag anymore, but he wasn't in Black Flag anymore. And they were looking for someone. Right. And I think they were at our rehearsal and they said to each other, without me hearing it, you know, (laughs) oh, maybe we should get Kira, you know. So Kira felt a little bit bad about that. But at the same time, she goes, I don't really play kind of bluesy. I don't know if I totally fit in this. I think we did three rehearsals. She goes, but Paul Rossler can come in and play keyboards and he can even do the keyboard's bass on a, a Moog. For sure. And was, which is what we did. And
1: Now, was that, was that rec- supposed to be temporary or was that the idea from, from day one? Well, I guess I guess you end up do getting a bass player at, by the same We were record.
2: kind of We were at, when I quit Black Flag, I also rejoined Red Cross. So I go, "Why don't when he's available, why don't we use Steve McDonald?" Oh. And we did some gigs with Steve McDonald. Steve McDonald was in DC3 intermittently. You know, if we had a gig and he couldn't play, we could still do it, because Paul could play. And that's part of one of the things. I think the first album is really good, but there is something missing, and that's an actual bass. I mean, he does really good on the bass keyboard. Paul's a genius, because he he came to rehearsal with all these keyboards, and he goes, I just want to be the Jimi Hendrix of keyboards. And I go, <laughs> you First of all, I already knew his history. Yeah. I knew about Twisted Roots. I knew about the Screamers, and I knew about his sister and him. And I said, "Well, if you say something like that, first of all, you're in the band." Yeah. <laughs> but but I already knew how Paul played. Paul is a pretty out there musician. Very creative. Writes some really beautiful stuff on his own and. And, but he really kind of took to the idea of being in DC3 and the idea of DC3.
1: Well, I think he, has, so we were, he shares your, your love of classic rock, too. I I think he I remember him telling me he was a prog rock dude.
2: Right, and there's some of that I like. Yeah. But, you know, he was, you know, we, we all like different things, you know, we all like T-Rex and David Bowie and Brian Eno and, and like I said, Mahavishnu and King Crimson, just every, you know, all this stuff, yep. you know, and and then some more uh, hard rock bluesier stuff. Like I said, ZZ Top, Mountain. I don't know if he ever listened to a lot of that stuff. He would probably listen to more prog yeah. things. So you know, then we we recorded that This Is The Dream. And I think we recorded that our first sessions were sometime like in June, 84. And then like, for some reason, we didn't record anymore until later, 84, January, 85. And that, then that record came out in 85. Right. And it was, uh, it's pretty good. You know, it's like I said, with every album, I would wish, you always wish that, You could spend more time and add stuff. I always wondered if I added bass (laughs) to that first DC3 record, either had somebody else do it or or I did it, like overdub it, how that would sound. And I always wish that I had more time to mix and work with sounds. See, all of a sudden you're dealing with a music that is different than punk rock. I mean... It was easier to record a record of punk rock in a night or two, you know, like ten songs. You got a guitar sound once, and that was it. Yeah, you're not For as concerned these, with overdubs
1: maybe, or backing vocals, these these kinds of things, probably.
2: I mean, you did little overdubs here and there, maybe double the guitar. Yeah. Uh, maybe do some a group. Uh, sing along on, you know, punk rock, uh, where the whole group doesn't matter if you're all in key or not. Right. You just scream Rise it.
1: Above or something like that. Yeah, but
2: yeah. like DC3 was a little bit more like a 70s band. I could have spent the money, if we had it, on more studio time trying to perfect each album. For instance, we're supposed to talk about We're Only As Blind as Your Mind Can Be. Well, just listening to it on the little I don't have a copy. Hmm. But just listening to it on my telephone today. Right. Yeah, I had a pretty good strat sound there, but I wish I had a less I w- wish I added a Les Paul here and there. Or done, you know, there's always something that you feel like you could have done better. Or if you had the time. But like anything else Like for instance, the DC Three Records SST put up. They they were notorious for getting uh, like blackout time right at studios for cheap right. So like from twelve midnight to eight in the morning, (laughs) and it was and and we had our own engineer, so we could do that, and uh, it would be like half the price or a quarter of the price per hour, you know, to be in the studio. And so SST kind of paid for the first album. Then when they kind of, re- after we sold X amount of them, they got the money back, but that money went to recording the good Hex. Okay. And then the good Hex, when they recouped that money, that money went to going to, you're only as blind as your mind could be. Gotcha. And then the live one, we knew this guy named Dave Travis. Uh, he owns a club called Club Nila nowadays. But he, oh, okay, yeah. he, had, he in L.A. and he he had like an eight track. So we we had him bring an eight track to a couple of our gigs, a place called Raji's, right, and then another gig I forget where it was recorded, but. Then we took that A track music that we recorded, the live stuff, and bounced it to sixteen and then we didn't we didn't change anything from the live recording. We added some kind of spacey stuff. I didn't like add an extra guitar or anything. On that live record, I think there's one jam in there where there's a weird vocals in the back. And uh I might have added that later. Okay. But, you know, we did a little bit of experimenting that way. But that Vita live album, you know, the uh, yeah. DC3 Vita album, I wish, I mean, the only thing I, I regret is not having enough time to spend Right. On, on these records, you know.
1: Now, when you brought in the uh, rhythm section of Caesar and Louie, I'm assuming you were a fan of the Stains?
2: I was a friends with them, and I, a fan yeah. and, and, and everything, and... Yeah, they're a great band. Uh, me and Robert from the Saints, the guitar player, we would sit around and listen to all of those bands that I just talked about—Hendrix for days, right? Drink beer and just like Deep Purple and Uriah Heep—and there was only like a couple of punk rock records in his collection. Okay, and were—they were, they were like the Ramones, Johnny Thunders, the Saints. Uh, from uh,
3: Australia, Australia. Yep.
2: only a few, and then the rest were all of these old rock records, and we would just have a ball, you know, right. listening to all these. So I knew Caesar, and Louie. See, the thing was, Kurt was a really, really great drummer. I mean, he, Kurt Markham, yep. before I knew him, he was in a, a later version of Iron Butterfly.
1: Yeah, I remember hearing that, yeah.
2: And he got that job because he knew the drum solo note for
1: note
2: of <laughs> <laughs> uh, In the Garden of Eden. <laughs> right.
1: It's a long one,
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he was really good. The only thing is, he was. It eventually got to the point where he didn't really want to go out and tour. Right. He was a little bit weird about that. Scared. Okay. And he was involved with this girl, and he didn't want to leave her. And
1: the classic we story.
2: The step, <laughs> well, we were we were at the point where, it, you know, we had an album out. You got to, you know, you put a record out. You should, you know, other than the radio, if you get played on, probably just getting played on college radio. Yeah. You know, you got to go out and play for people, to have them hear you. So we didn't end up touring until uh, Louis and Caesar came in the band and we recorded uh Good
1: Hex. Who did you go out with Des? Were you just playing with local bands in each market or did you package up with another SST band?
2: Well, this is how it started. I'm not even sure if Good Hex was out yet, but we were, we had recorded it. I'm not I think it was out. That's the second record. Yep. We we ended up going on tour and opening up for Black Flag. okay so we did we, we did this we did four tours we did a tour with black flag i remember one of the we did two tours with black flag but we did one with black flag then we did one on our own then we did another one opening for black flag and then we did another one on our own okay and then by the time the live record came out. I'm not sure if we toured after that record. We kind of were breaking up. Yeah. But um, that's how we toured four times. Okay. And we got good responses live. We were golly! I have a whole pantry full of cassette tapes.
1: Oh. Um. Like board tapes. <laughs>
2: excuse me. Well, I mean, any cassette tapes. From blind faith to DC three. Oh, I see. What you I mean. must have. Yeah. I must have at least ten DC three tapes, hmm. of cassettes off the board. Right. They are really. They're usually top heavy with vocals. Okay. I don't know if they're worth putting out. I just have them, and every once in a while I'll play one of them. Um, But they're usually top-heavy with vocals, and they're usually top-heavy with drums.
3: Okay, yeah.
2: But but I have, at least, maybe I have more. I don't know. But I have Um, a bunch from 1985.
1: Oh, wow. While there'd be a lot of people, I'm sure, that would want to hear those.
2: Well, maybe someday uh, I could EQ them or something, make them sound a little bit better. Yeah. But there's a lot of them I would have to go through hours. Well, yeah.
1: So for this album, Des, You're Only as Blind, it seems like you're going in in a lot of different directions musically. There's, um, you know, you've got some horns on a few tracks. Baby You Know is like a, almost sounds like Gone or something like that, a little bit of a jazz vibe to it. There's a track Sweet Buttercup that almost sounds like a southern rock song. You've got Talking to the Mirror, which is like slow blues. I'll never kill myself, which has got to me like a bit of a '60s vibe. Were you just writing what you were writing, or were you trying to to make a like a more eclectic album?
2: I don't even know if I was like shooting for anything particular. I was just kind of. It's kind of like the way I've always written stuff. I just I, I just let it come out. I just let it grow as a weed, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, I, come out of me that way. You know, it's really funny. A lot of times, I will listen to a song, and I'll go, "God, I really want to write a song that cool."
1: <laughs> I think and every I think like every it. musician does that.
2: I sit down with that song in mind, right? And nine times out of ten, it's not like that song. Right? It might be cool, but it's not like that song. And which is good because I don't want people to go, "Well." You know, you you that sounds just like Mississippi Queen.
3: Right. Right.
2: Like you don't want people to say that, but you want to your initial thing is like, "God, I wish I wrote that." <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yep. Yeah, and and everybody goes through that, I think. Yeah. You're right.
1: Well, either that or a lot of musicians I don't think allow themselves to listen to anything else cuz they don't want to be influenced by anything external, you know.
2: Yeah, but I think What ends up happening usually is whatever that musician is, whoever the person is, his personality or whatever comes out. Yeah, for sure. Mississippi Queen could be a big influence, you know. uh, But, you know, then I I write something and people will go, oh, did you ever listen to a lot of Marshall Tucker? Right. I'll I'll go, no. No, then there's the other thing, yeah, that's the other thing is when you write something and people think you're a fan of like say Marshall Tucker, and they go, "I never really listened to them, right you know you ever hear somebody somebody writes a song and you say to them, "Oh, isn't that just like Red Rubber Ball or um, some song from the sixties right, and they go, "I never heard that." <laughs>
1: Well, on that topic, Des, I do want to ask you, were you, as a guitar player, were you influenced by Rory Gallagher at all? Because I I hear his playing, and you're playing.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That was one of the guys, me and Robert, used to sit around Rory Gallagher down at the laundromat. What do you think of that? I'm sleeping down at the laundromat. (laughs) If you pass by, make sure you stop by it. Stop on it. Yeah. Great stuff.
3: Yeah, for
1: sure.
2: It was really,
1: really, really good. Yeah, really good.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, the list can go on of my influences yeah. on guitar.
1: Well, obviously, I you will- know, you're a, you're a fan of blues as well. You cover Jimmy Reed on this album, and I think John Lee Hooker on the Good Hex.
2: Yeah, what do we do uh, on on this record?
1: On this one, you do "I Ain't Got You."
2: I ain't got you. Yeah. You know, and then and the other one was the "Bang Bang." Yeah. Which was the B side to "Boom Boom"? <laughs> you know, actually, that might have been two separate records. The old blues guys did that a lot in the old days. Yeah. Instead of, so they get paid twice. <laughs> just change the words a little bit, and this is "Bang Bang," and this is "Boom Boom."
1: Yep. Uh, you even, know, even guys like Chuck Berry did that.
2: Yeah, 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 and good uh, Chuck Berry did that a lot too.
1: You're yep. right.
2: <laughs> but you know, I was just kind of playing stuff that I always liked when I was a kid. I had that influence. My dad owned a record store. He was a jazz producer out here in Jersey and
1: Yeah, Ozzy, your dad, right?
2: Yeah, uh, Ozzy. Yeah. So I had a lot of music around.
1: Yeah. Mostly jazz from your well, dad. Well yeah,
2: but you know, he had a record store, so he had to have rock and roll. Right. Yeah, you know, he was one of the he was the one him and my older brother was the one who played for me the Beatles. Okay. He goes, I don't care what these guys, these these guys are great. Especially the later stuff when they got all, you know, experimental he and art. Or- yeah. And
1: he wasn't he wasn't just a jazz purist, your dad?
2: He kinda was, but he had enough smarts to know that well, let me give you an example. When I was singing in Black Flag, we were getting a lot of headlines—not about our music, but about punk rock violence and riots. Right. right. Yep. So my dad was down in Hermosa Beach at one of the clubs, the Lighthouse or something.
3: This, is, this one is a of club his, he booked, I believe, right?
2: He eventually booked it. They, back in in those days, he he wasn't he wasn't booking the club. Okay. The club had gone through a change in '72 or something. It was run before by a guy named Howard Rumsey. He's very famous in the jazz world.
3: Right. But
2: Howard Rumsey sold the place and opened a place in Redondo called Concerts by the Sea. Okay. The Lighthouse started didn't just play uh, strictly jazz or 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 blues or or gospel that's what they originally did i mean jazz okay. right it was gospel they started playing more rock cover bands okay and my my dad was always trying to convince them to stay with the jazz <laughs> they're still that way i mean they my mom books the jazz there now three nights a week wow but literally they have rock cover bands and reggae which is fine but that was a jazz club Hard, well, you know hard what? to
1: pay the bills with strictly jazz nowadays. I bet
2: it's tough. It's, yeah. you know it's, it's it's hard for the musicians to find work. Anyway, so a guy, there was a headline in the in the newspaper that after we had played a show, the cops showed up and there was a little mini riot. So one of my dad's guy, he knew a, you know his age, right, goes. I don't know about this punk rock thing, Ozzy. My son's been fucking up in school and he's been going to these gigs. And <laughs> Anyway, this is a, just a bunch of noise. And he goes, Wait, your son's in that band? What do you think of all this? The guy asked my father,
3: right? My dad
2: goes, listen, and maybe a bunch of noise to you and even me. But He's out traveling. He's playing gigs. He's learning about life, and he's learning how to play. Hey, hey basically, what he said was, "One man's crap is another man's goal. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And he stood up for me. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. You know that? Yeah, it's too loud. I know. I can't really go see him play. It's too loud. I listen to jazz, but you know what? People are going to see him. He's making records. People are buying the records. People like it. As long as he doesn't get in bad, bad trouble, I say more power to him.
1: He knew it was a generational thing.
2: Well, I know people looked down on jazz music when he was a kid. That's right. Yeah. When he was young, before he went into the Marines in World War II, he he would go you know, a lot of a lot of jazz people who lost their uh, entertainment cards, because they got busted in New York, would come to Newark and play. Okay. And, you know, in those days, you needed an enter- entertainment card, and you got it from the union. Okay. And if you and a lot of musicians like Billy Holiday, Parker, Charlie Parker, everybody, a lot of people got busted and got their cards taken up when they got busted their cards were taken away okay so that meant they couldn't do their work and, and it was usually cuz of drugs so where would they go to play jersey so they either played down the shore or Newark which is like 13 miles away from the town city in New York my dad got to see all that and you know he never really he was a drinker, but he was never into the drugs thing, you know, even pot, nothing. You right. know. He was well known in Harlem and he was a he was a Spanish kid. He was an American, but he was a Spanish kid. He wasn't right. black. So everybody in Newark on the on the other side of town knew him, and everybody in Harlem knew him. He would get mu- musicians together when they wanted to throw a dance up in Harlem. He would be the only white guy there. <laughs> they used to call him Newark. <laughs> and they used to walk him to the train so nobody fucked with him. Right. One good story is in the mid-50s, he got a call from Dion Warwick's mother. And they lived in East Orange, which is like one of our neighboring towns. Okay. East Orange, New Jersey and dion she was maybe 14 and she asked my father ozzy will you escort my daughter to harlem because they want her because she was making a reputation already at the age of 12 being a gospel gospel singer." my dad goes yeah okay and here's the reason one she was underage two she wanted they wanted her to perform at a club that was all it was a woman's club oh okay do you know what i'm talking about
3: i think
1: so
2: (laughs) yeah it was i mean you have to be frank and say it was a a, in harlem and all black ladies club ladies only right you know and the mother First of all, she wanted her daughter to get back home safe. So she called my dad to bring her. She did the gig. He brought her home. So, you know, people trusted my dad. And the only reason why they trusted him is because he trusted them. And he showed them that there was no racial thing. And it's what music was what brought him respect. Right. So, I don't know why I had to tell you that
1: story, but... Oh, it's a great, it's a great story. I
2: don't know what that has to do with DC3. <laughs> I guess it does have to do something with DC3.
1: On this album, Des, just to shift gears, I'm not sure if this is something that you're super interested in talking about, but I'm curious, like, this this album seems like a bit of a breakup record. Is that something you're, you're okay with talking about?
2: Yeah, but I don't want to mention names. It was, and it was... Uh, a close friend of all of ours, and um she was actually the first girl I ever lived with, not really my first girlfriend, but uh yeah uh, I took it pretty seriously, yeah, as we all would.
1: what are you doing now musically Des? I know you mentioned cafe nila i i saw I think I saw you played some gigs there recently.
2: that was something I did a gig one off with some friends of mine, okay. Um, I was out in California for a month, and I did a gig with Rob Holzman. Right. And I did a gig with my friend Steve Lynn, who plays guitar. I did a gig with uh, my other friend Bill Bowman, who was in Vita. Right, yep. And my other friend Jim Mellon, uh, who uh, plays harmonica and sings. Okay. We threw something together just for fun. I was out there for a month. Right on. We called it Dondo, like Redondo. Right. But I have been doing a band, Mr. Stratosphere.
3: Okay, yeah.
2: As of last year, but I haven't been doing that. I'm going through a live thing where I might move back to California because of my mom. Oh, I see. Well, she's 93. Oh, wow. And she's out there with my sister, and they're alone. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're together, but... I may relocate indefinitely. Okay. I've been out here since... I, I mean, I was in the Misfits for 13 years. Right, yep. And that was up until about five years ago, four or five years ago.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I've been doing Flag.
3: yeah.
2: Not Black Flag, but, but Flag. Yep. And uh, which we are doing a, a show later on in May.
3: Right, yeah.
2: And a Punk Rock Bowling. Right. Right now... You know, if anybody wants to check anything out, there's a Facebook page for Mr. Stratosphere.
3: Okay.
2: Even though we're not an active band right now, but there, I think there are some links to some tunes. Okay. So if anybody wants to check, check that out, yeah. that's good.
1: We'll post that for sure.
2: I also play with some friends of mine, you know, when I, I had some health issues about five years ago.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. how you're doing there
2: well when i get cold, it gets really irritated but i'm pretty much 100 percent cancer free
1: that's good to hear
2: it was on my vocal cord right you know i don't like to tell people what to do but look if you smoke try to quit that's all i'm gonna say
3: yeah i'm not
2: ordering i'm not ordering you to i'm just saying you know. but uh i play with this band called John J O N Caspi, C A S P I. Right. And the and the first gun. In a roundabout way I started playing with these guys when when I was recovering and they were they were kind of there for me during that period of time and they were all really good guys. Different types of music. I there are some I guess you would try to look them up on the Facebook page and maybe there's links to their tunes. Right. But I have played on a few tracks, one on their later record, one or two on their later re- one of their later records. And uh, and there might be some tracks floating around of Des they probably will say Descadina played with us on us. You know, so. Right, yeah. I mean, they're, they're strictly a New Jersey band they're older guys. They play a lot of gigs around. I
1: haven't gone on a
2: tour with them, but they're good guys, and, and it's a little bit different. I like to call them, like, Jersey Rock. Okay. And I don't mean, like, they're not like Bon Jovi.
1: or Like they're, Bruce Springsteen, they're not.
2: They're not, like, even though they're from that area, they're not necessarily like Bruce Springsteen, either. Okay. Even though I think... I think well, it seems like to me that they liked a lot of, you know, when they were younger, they liked a lot of punk rock and new wave and that type of stuff. There might be a little bit of a, of, of a Springsteen influence on some of their tunes, but they have a good variety of different stuff. He's a good writer. He knows.
1: All right, Des, anything else that you want to say to anybody out there?
2: Well, if you play music, play it with conviction and uh, do what you got to do
1: right on thanks a lot for taking the time today des really appreciate you being on the podcast
2: thank you all right adios
1: all right great guy
0: thanks so much des for doing the show huge thrill um lots of cool tidbits and i gotta say from my perspective i especially liked you know the anecdotes about ozzy in particular you know as much as we're talking about
1: dc3 i really like hearing about that stuff too yeah for sure. You can tell he's proud of his dad. So that yeah, was cool. For sure. My favorite parts were um while I liked that I got a double confirmation that Jeff Dahl was not in DC3. <laughs> <laughs> that was really important to me. Yeah. Well, uh, he seems to have been in every band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he name dropped DOA, which always uh, I always need to mention it when when that happens. I feel like yeah. DOA should be have books written about them. and Well, they do, but they're all written by Joe Keithley. Uh, <laughs> you know, in the same... They don't, they, they
0: don't seem to get name-checked as much as, like, you know, Black Flag, for example, but people from that scene yeah. always name-check DOA.
1: Yeah, well, they really blazed a trail in the same way that Black Flag did, and they should get as much credit as Black Flag, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I don't know if we knew that Steve McDonald was in DC3, but he did mention that, so that was cool. That was news to me. Yeah. I liked when he called Paul Russler the Jimi Hendrix of keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought it was interesting
0: to hear, like, he doesn't have any copies of this, and when he's listening to it, even on, uh, you know, like on a YouTube video or whatever. He's like still really critical of how it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, it doesn't it sounds really good when you play it on vinyl
1: on a decent stereo. It yeah. still
0: sounds good for yeah. me.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about the tracks right.
2: Sure. History Lesson Part 2.
1: In case people aren't keeping track, this is DC3's third full-length studio album and final studio album. They've had a few tracks on a few comps, like exclusive ones, like The Blasting Concept 2, I believe. This one... Well, let's go through the tracks. On side one, Lost Someone, written by Des, and Caesar actually gets a writing credit on this one. I mean, you heard me mention it in the interview, and we'll discuss it again when we get to the liner notes, but this is... I described it as, I believe, as a breakup record, and it definitely is. This one, Lost Someone, kind of... Sets the tone for that, I would say. Oh yeah, I like the yeah. ly- I like the lyric where Des is going, and if I don't find me s- no solitude, I'm gonna take this mess to church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> great licks from Des throughout this song, and here again, to reference the interview, I mentioned Rory Gallagher. I can really hear his. I can hear really hear a Rory Gallagher influence on the on the guitar licks here.
0: Yeah, and you know, if you want to point out another difference between Brant and I, one is I always get Rory Gallagher mixed up with Leon Russell, whereas <laughs> Brant Brandt owns the entire catalog of both of those artists True. and I've never re- and I've never really heard them.
1: <laughs> oh, you got to get you got to get into some Rory, man. You can do without Leon Russell, but Rory Gallagher is essential. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first track. The second track, Party for One, is is a Paul Rossler track, which means he also sings it. I just think it's an amazing song. Uh, I love all of Paul's DC3 tracks. I really can't wait to get to his solo album and the Pat Smear record that I, that I know he worked on. This one's really awesome how it goes from guitar solo into the keyboard solo. I really like that. and It's just a really good song that also suits kind of the album's theme.
0: It's very catchy. Like, it's yeah. one of the ones where I was like, you know, you kind of catch yourself getting into it, and you're like, wait a second, I didn't think I was a DC3 fan. And you're like, <laughs> but this is a deadly song.
1: Yeah, it's super catchy. Track three is the title track You're Only As Blind as Your Mind Can Be, uh, written by Des, Paul, and Louis, which makes me think they probably wrote this one like during a jam session, maybe. Uh, it's an instrumental. It's a little long for an intro, it's like four over four minutes long, but there's some interesting twists and turns. Uh, We get some whammy bar action from Dez. Paul's rocking like the mod wheel on his keyboard for his solo. Oh yeah. Which is like the keyboard's (laughs) whammy bar. (laughs) Whammy bar, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Kind of makes it stand out a little bit. Uh, Track four, I'll Never Kill Myself Over You, written by Paul and Dez. Paul's on vocals again. Starts out a bit hokey with kind of a like a country twang but then it goes into a like a bit of a 60s vibe and it has some harmonic in it that's really cool. I'm assuming that's Dez. Let me just check the liner notes here. No, actually it's Paul doing blues harp. No, sorry, it is Dez. Paul's doing it in, later on. I ain't got you.
0: Yeah, they both play blues harp. What's the difference between blues harp and non-blues harp? Well, blues harp you bend the notes, man. Oh. <laughs> i think (laughs) is that like when you're honking on the bobo
1: yeah might be (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i think like a country harmonica
0: what kind of of harp is blues traveler
1: (laughs) (laughs) those are like chroma shitty (laughs) 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 those are like chromatic harmonicas there's way more notes on them they're like way bigger it'd be like more like something like maybe I don't know if Bob Dylan would play one of those. Maybe
0: a blues harp, like a big sucker. No,
1: like a big chromatic harp. No, blues traveler has got like a vest of little tiny guys. Well, that's right because you got to play in the right key. Yeah, yeah. Even that vest is hokey, man. Oh, do tell. Real, (laughs) real bluesmen like open up a suitcase on like a bar stool that has all their harps in it. (laughs) and they they soak them in like a glass of whiskey man yeah i guess hey yeah (laughs) to get all the blood out that's right (laughs) (laughs)
0: thanks for the blues harp lesson
1: there you go Track five, I Ain't Got You, uh, written by Calvin Carter, who's like an American producer. This was his best known song, but it was made famous by Jimmy Reed from his 1960 album, Found Love. But Des could have learned it from any number of albums from his record collection. I'm sure it was done by many, many bands, including the Yardbirds, the Animals, BOC, a band I know Des really liked, Uh, Molly Hatchet, a band I really like, that I bet you don't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) keep them coming (laughs) this one I don't know it just reminds me of being in a shitty blues bar from I'm sure you know which one I'm referencing and uh, just like
0: we've sat in our share of them together that's for sure
1: yeah this is just like a song that you would hear on any Saturday afternoon jam in a blues bar and I just can't get into it yeah if I'm going to listen to some blues I want Something like some Mississippi Delta blues, not some like Chicago Barroom blues, which is what I think this is. I'm far from a blues historian, but not really my cup of tea. Yeah,
0: I like some Texas blues like Freddie King. Yeah. He's got some good surf albums too.
1: Yeah. Or Or
0: at least one instro album.
1: What about Stevie Ray Vaughan?
0: Uh, I don't like that
1: crap. See, I do, but blues jams ruined it for me. Cause all those dudes playing strats with that sound, that Stevie Ray Vaughan sound.
0: Yeah, well, that's what it did. That's what did it for me too, though. Yeah.
1: Okay, flip it over to side two, and we've got "Sweet Buttercup" written by Dez. This is the one I think I mentioned in the interview. To me, sounds has a bit of a Southern rock vibe. Speaking of Molly Hatchet, this is like a, more of a Skinnered style, like the harmonies on the guitar. I don't know if it's two guitars overdubbed or if it's. I can't tell if it's that or if it's Dez and Paul harmonizing, but it's cool. Track two, Talkin' to the Mirror, written by Dez. All the songs on side 2 are solely credited to Dez. Talkin' to the Mirror is the one that has the Diggy Roots horn section. That's what they're called on the album credits. And this one's like a slow blues. Like kind of, It's almost seven minutes long. You've got Paul doing like the Barrel House honky-tonk piano. Not really my thing. Hmm. Track three, "Baby, You Know Where I Live," written by Dez. This one's a, an interesting track. It's definitely the mo- you know the wildest track on the album. It just comes out of totally out of left field. It's a pretty crazy like jazz fusion song. Uh, no Paul on it that I can hear. It's just the trio when Caesar and Dez lock in together on the bass and guitar. It's pretty cool. Louis got some chops too, for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And then the final track is called Melania, who I guess is... Mal- Melania? Melania. I guess that's who the album's dedicated to.
0: It says so. Wait a second. How do you spell Melania like Melania?
1: Like Melania Trump? Probably not yep. like
0: this. Uh, yeah. So she's M-E-L-A-N-I-A, whereas this is M-A. So this is probably Melania.
1: Yeah. Probably.
0: Thank you, Melania Trump, for once.
1: Yeah, (laughs) My Love is Here Forever, it's kind of subtitled, written by Dez, and this is the one that has, I'm assuming this is just all Dez. He does auto-harp and acoustic guitar on this song.
0: Auto-harp is from, like, out of left field, man. Yeah. That's like the Love and Spoonful type stuff, right? Yeah. What a weird choice. I mean, it works. thing is, with DC3, like, they are all over the place and they kind of make it
1: cohesive. Yeah. The thing for me with this album is I was really looking forward to it because Paul, I seem to recall, thought this was like maybe their peak when we talked to him. For me, it's the worst of their three studio albums. I totally prefer the other two to this one.
0: Yeah, me too. That's what struck me when I listened to it. I was like, okay, um, it's it's kind of like Swa or maybe even Vitus, where like you know I'm hoping it's a slow burn, and they finally they finally sink their hooks into me, you know, whereas when I listened to this one it was like, no, man, I like the other d c three albums better than this one, yeah,
1: yeah they're like, both it was better.
0: O- it was obvious right off the bat,
1: yeah, this one did come out in 18- eighteen nineteen eighty six the same year as the good hex, so and i I seem to recall Paul saying the good hex was a bit rushed, and this one was kind of the one they took their time on, but i to me, it seems the other way around. The Good Hex has way better songs, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: maybe it's a function of, you know, the ambition, like the concept album, maybe. kind of overtaking the the spontaneity and the rawness of the previous albums. That could be.
1: Let's talk about the artwork. Yeah, I really like this cover artwork, though. Yeah, the cover, the the artwork's way better on this one. The photos
0: are deadly. Yeah, they are. I mean, just check out their outfits to begin with. I love Dez's glasses. Yeah, they look they look just like solid, stone cold. He kind of looks like Harry Potter or something. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I, I take it it's Paul Rossler in the far back with like the dreads, I guess. Yeah, that's Paul. Yeah, and then standing next to him with the mustache. I don't know who that is, but that is one of the best poses of all time. Yep. Kind of looks like my uncle. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then next to him as well in the double, double-breasted suit, also a deadly pose. Yeah. It's funny, like the simplicity of having one shot of them on the front and then kind of a cash shot on the back. Yeah. It almost always works in an album cover like sure. this.
1: Yeah. And it totally works here. Yeah, it does. Uh, is this a Naomi Peterson? Does it say? Do you do you have it on LP? Yeah, I don't think it came out on CD, just cassette and LP. Do you have the Do you have the insert as well? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and I don't see any photo credit.
0: No, there's no photo credit. I'd be shocked if it wasn't her. Yeah. Did she do the uh, the cover for Worm Feast? Yeah. Yeah, she did. Because it's a similar type of effect. Yeah here. So I got to think it's Naomi.
1: Yeah. And then there's a photo of, well, it looks like... Um, it's Dez. It's Dez playing a strat. Yep. Which he mentions in the interview. Does he? Yeah.
0: Well, he mentions about how he didn't really get the strat sound he wanted. Oh yeah. I also love in this photo how he's got a strat with a Gibson strap on. Love that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. What about the epic dedication there sure. on
1: the interview? on the uh the insert lay it on us ryan for people who don't have it
0: he says you gotta understand i ain't no saint nobody is but i always have tried to have understanding for the people around me recently i've learned that i could be vulnerable to such emotions as anger frustration and even violence ultimately i ended up hurting someone who was very close to me this album is about life without that person time heals all wounds and patience is a virtue. I used to preach this, but now I'm really learning about these words of wisdom. Real love for someone is a wonderful experience. It usually only happens once, or if you're really lucky, twice in your lifetime. Do not take it for granted. If you do, you not only hurt the person, but you hurt yourself. Music is emotion, many kinds of emotion. For me, music is love. Luckily, I can combine my love for music and for a person and come up with something to relay to you people. Do yourself a favor. Free your minds and your hearts. Because you are only as blind as your mind can be. And then he goes into some thank yous. On that note, DC3 would like to thank wholeheartedly Robert Riggs, Robert Becerra, Sal, Davo, Frank Fast, Regina, Rick Van Santen, Casey, Sis, Gidget, Chuck, Cretan, Wes, the City of Lawndale, Helen Rossler, Kira, and all my friends who were there to listen when I needed them. All happiness to everyone, always. Des Kadena. And then it says, this album is dedicated to Melania.
1: I will wait forever. Dude was going through some pain. Yeah. You know what it says on the back here? I just saw photos by Don Lewis. Where? Under the production credits. Oh yeah, there you go. No way. Recorded at Tempo Studio, I th- seem to recall that's where wasn't that where World Broken was recorded? Glenn all up. I know we've seen Glenn before. Yep. I think the record
0: sounds good. I can understand being critical of it. You yep. know, looking back on it, being one of the uh one of the musicians on it, but and you're always your worst critic. I think it's I think it holds up for what it is and the time it was recorded in.
1: My copy also has two catalogs in it. Whoa. It's got the, this one, Here to Blast Your Concept, which is one of my favorite ones. We've got all these great Michael Whitaker write-ups. Right. And then I've got this other one, Compact Discorama. You've seen this one before. On the back, it's got SST posters dripping from your walls. (laughs) Yeah. And it's got In the Larval Stage. Got Opal. Most of these titles are to be announced. Swah, Das damond sonic youth meat puppets all t. b a hmm that might be a later pressing of that record to have a catalogue like that in it. maybe it's got d c three you're only as blind as your mind can be on it, so yeah, on coming soon, maybe so not. I don't think they probably repressed this one, man.
0: No, I doubt it. It probably didn't take off like hot cakes.
1: you can get a pretty gnarly d c three sticker. On the that inside. you could it, order? Yeah, and a shirt, same same image. Ah. Yeah, the description says, the four dudes from DC3 are smiling down at you. It's a pretty cool shirt, I've never seen it before.
0: Yeah, they had some wicked merch. It's, you know, if only you could go back and get some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, there's an SST shirt in here that has like every band logo on the front and back. Just the logos. Like everyone, even October Faction. Wow. You can get one that's just got the fire hose logo on it. That's all that's on it. You can get a Minutemen one that's called The the Roar of the Masses Could Be Farts. You never see any of these shirts. The only ones you ever see are like, you see the painted Willy one lots in pictures of the 86 tour and most of these black flag ones, but a lot of these you never see. Are there any uh, dead wax, Brent? Let me have a look. Oh, looks like there is.
0: Nice. Lay it on me.
1: Side A says, forever love, never forgotten. And side B says, demi-corazon. Corazon is heart, I know that. What are you doing, getting out your shaving kit? <laughs> no, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> what about uh, ballot result,
0: Brent? This one's all you, man. Ballot result.
1: Well, again, I'll ask you, like I did last week, what's your, what would your pick be?
0: only because it was so catchy it would have to be party for one for me
1: yeah you know i wanted to go with a des track since we had des on and i could have gone with lost someone but i just think party for one is a cooler track it's it's the standout right yeah without question yeah what's next week ryan
0: next week is sst 84 saccharine trust the sacramental element which is um a cassette compilation, kind of like the Minuteman, My First Bells. So we will have went through most, if not all of it before, but I'm really looking forward to listening to it because I really enjoyed all the second trust we've been through before.
1: Yeah. And we have a special guest. Do tell. Jack Brewer's on the podcast next week. Nice. Yeah. And hey, thanks to Des Kadina for being our guest this week. It was great chatting with Des.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate it.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is MoJackPod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content.